hello and welcome to Particular. And today I'm joined by Julia, and she's my best friend, and also she's a professional journalist. So hello. Um, basically, I had uh, <laughs> an interest of inviting her because I really want our uh, episodes to be structured and have like a professional view, and also more the merrier. So I think this could be a great collab collaboration. And yeah, Julia. Hello. Hello. How was yes. your week? Um, oh, well, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me to be your co-host. It's really, um, it's really flattering. And thank you for letting me um, sing a little jingle in the beginning. <laughs> well... <laughs> Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm very excited about this because I think you found a really good um topic for a whole series of podcasts because creatives want to talk about themselves and how they create and how they how we work, how we think because it's a lot of thinking. Sometimes it's sometimes it's boring, sometimes it's interesting, sometimes it's just unbearable. And we have to talk to each other. Sorry, I'm getting philosophical here. But anyway, I have a background. <laughs> um, I have a background in journalism. Um, I'm in digital video by trade. I've made a few documentaries. And um, yeah, I'm very happy doing any type of interview. I love asking questions. I love listening. And that's what we'll do. What I liked about this episode and how Nick was talking about the the creative block in particular is that he was not afraid of being vulnerable. So he shared some of the things that are not very common for people to admit to. And they and he just admitted that he felt some feelings and or that he was not doing a thing that everybody's doing. So that felt really genuine and um, helpful as well and relatable. Yeah, and I really appreciate that you used uh, the phrase in particular, which really uh, reflects the name of our podcast. So, yeah, without further ado, uh, please listen to our conversation with Nick Howard. And, yeah, thank you for listening. Nick, thank you for coming uh, to our podcast. It's a pleasure. And um, basically, I I, th I thought it would be a good idea to start uh, just asking uh, everyone, how is everyone's week? So, so yeah, Nick, how was your week? Uh, what you were up to? And also, how would you rate your creativity for the past week from one to 10? <laughs> yeah, first, I mean, thanks for having me on here. Podcasts are, you know, a lot of fun. I haven't done many of them, but... Um... I'm definitely a podcast abuser in some way. Like I'm, I've been, uh, I've been binging podcasts and, um, yeah, I really enjoy them. This week's been good. Uh, it's the start of the week, obviously today was a little rocky. Uh, I've got, I've got a five month old. Um, I'm actually in her nursery right now. This is a mobile above me, but, um, she woke up at four thirty this morning. Uh, so I've been up for quite some time. Um, but the start of the week's good. I'm about to kick off a big, big production. I'm going to make a fun, a fun thing, which we can talk about later. So uh, even though I'm a little bit tired, 
the week's headed in a good direction. I'm talking about making things. That's kind of my happy place. <clears throat> and then as far as creativity, it's a, um, I never thought about it, uh, that way. Like I've never thought like, Oh, how creative am I today? You know what I mean? Like I usually think of like my sleep meter as something that can go up and down, but my creative meter, I don't know if I think about it as like a, like a battery that, you know, sometimes is full, sometimes is low. Um, but yeah, with, with a production on the horizon, this is like, this is usually when I'm firing on all cylinders. Um, I really love coming up with ideas and obviously, you know, sharing those with people and trying new things. And, um, but that part of the process, I think in any creative industry can be, you know, it's just a bit laborious. That's, that's the part of a job that kind of feels like a job where when you're making stuff um you know that's that's usually that's usually when i feel the most creative and the most free because it's just i don't know it feels like you're working with your hands versus trying to convince people that something is good so yeah yeah for sure totally agree um but yeah just just a quick one before we go on to our main topic i'm just curious um what what like how does your everyday uh, day look like in terms of like what do you do to ignite this creativity to start your day maybe you like i don't know check some resources or i don't know you go for a walk maybe you can share some tips on that sure yeah i know some people have routines um that sort of get them into the mindset uh i do not as of late um my routine is waking up at 4 30 with my daughter and taking her to school so it's a bit maybe um a bit more, maybe on the boring side. Uh, but, um, recently I kind of, I kind of will use that as my example because she's five months old now. Um, and I don't know if you two have kids or if you know people with little kids, but they sort of become sentient at, <laughs> at five months, which is like a weird thing to say, but they like, they start to understand the world that's around them. Um, she's learning how to laugh. Uh, so any routine that I had before her, you know, usually included walking my dog or going on a bike ride or skateboarding, um, usually just getting outside. Um, it's part of what I love about living in Portland, Oregon. Um, you know, you can go out in the woods and sort of breathe a new air. Um, but with, with having a daughter now, um, she's actually a big kind of creative unlocker because I, I'm kind of like kind of re-experiencing emotions I haven't in a long time. Um, you know, she's giggling at funny things. She's giggling at things that aren't funny. Um, she's grabbing my mustache uh, and exploring it with her hand and not sure what it is. So it's just, it's really simple, but she like is kind of reminding me that, you know, life is weird and fun to look at, fun to laugh at, fun to touch. I can relate. Yeah, I have a daughter. She's nine. Uh, so it's very far from five months old, um, but definitely I agree with you on the fact that it re restarts your kind of your feeling of the world around you. But you were you were talking about emotions that you rediscovered yeah. some emotions. What are the emotions? What are the feelings? Um. Well, you know when you when you sort of like put your head down and, and start working. 
um, even though we're in the creative business where we're kind of in the business of emotions, you, you tend to get like a little hard nosed about stuff, or at least I do, I get a little bit like, uh, serious and, um, you know, I take my job pretty seriously and I work really hard and I'm competitive with it. Uh, so you, you kind of forget to like, take a minute and like laugh, um, or take a minute and feel something like just, just yesterday morning, it was Sunday morning, uh, at eight and, um, I was watching a movie on the couch and she woke up and so I just, I wanted to keep watching the movie. So I just plopped her down next to me and she has no idea what's going on, but she was enthralled with the movie. I was watching the avatar, uh, the way of water, which beautiful movie, not a very good story, but beautiful movie. <laughs> um, and she was like, she was fascinated with it. Um, so there's, I think it's every emotion, you know, she's laughing and she's kind of, in awe of stuff, um, which is just, that's sort of the business, I think. That's like. But she's also a massive distraction, I imagine. So, you, how do you cope with that? Actually, that relates to creative blocks and just not being able to focus on something. It's very hard to focus when you have such a small child in the house. How do you feel about that? Um, yeah, it's incredibly hard. Um, anybody who's busy, uh, you don't have to have a kid to understand what it's like to be busy and your kind of brain is pulled in a lot of different ways. And that's tough. I mean, I know some creative people who, you know, are specialists really need their time, um, to do nothing. And sometimes you can have the best ideas by forgetting about what you're supposed to be doing for a day. Um, but when you're busy, when you have a kid and there is no time, um, my brain's sort of rewired recently, uh, cause it had to, um, which has been cool. And I'm sort of having an auto body experience watching myself turn into a new person a bit. Cause before I just, my superpower was being able to outwork, um, other people like just work really, really hard. Um, where now I don't have that luxury anymore. So um, what I'm finding is with like limited time, I just have a stronger gut, I think. Um, or maybe I always had a gut, but now I just hear it and listen to it and like grab onto it immediately versus interrogating it too much. So I don't overthink as much, which is nice. I just wanted to, um, like gently move us into the direction of our topic and uh but it's connected to what you just said nick um with with the focus and like being you know like trying to be attentive to a lot of things happening around you it also mm -hmm. can happen in our industry in terms of you know having people do a lot of things like your colleagues a lot of trends happening everything and sometimes as for me i feel really overwhelmed by it and i feel like oh, I'm like, I'm not doing anything. And then the creative block hits me. So have you ever experienced either that kind of experience or creative block? And like, how would you describe it for yourself? Sure. Yeah. I mean, having access to everything, you know, the internet um, is a blessing and a curse because I know what you mean when you say it's just kind of overwhelming. Um, like comparison culture is really tough. Um, when you see how much other people are making, when you see 
people who are really prolific um, and it can become so overwhelming where it, it feels defeating a little bit um, where, you know, you're just watching because you get the highlight reels from everybody. And when you get the highlight reel from the most successful people in the world, it's like, man, they did that by what age? Like, oh my gosh. Um, like they did how many projects that were all amazing and famous in the last year? You know, uh, it's tough. Um, I came from sports world. So, you know, comparison has always been, um, I think a weakness of mine. Sometimes I can use it as a strength, but uh, comparing yourself to other people, that phrase comparison is a thief of joy. It's, it's really true, but it's also a really good motivator. <clears throat> so creative block, I don't necessarily um, relate to that as, as much as other people, just because I don't, I don't find myself like terribly creative. Um, <laughs> I'm in a creative industry and I make creative things. Uh, but I kind of just feel like I'm solving problems um, most of the time and I get to work with really creative people. Um, so I try to have, you know, novel ideas uh, and try to do things I've never done before, but usually the people that I work with are, 10 times more creative than I am. And I kind of provide us a general direction of where we should go, but then I, I like to let them uh, lead in their departments because I'm not an animator. I hired an amazing animator to do the animating. I hired an amazing director. You know, I like partnering with people who are much better than me. So um, creative block is, isn't something that I feel a lot, um, but it might be, kind of circling back to my original point, it might just be because I compare myself to others quite frequently. And that becomes a serious, serious motivator. Um, so the busier I am, usually the more prolific I am, the more creative I am, the more things I can handle. It's when I have those moments of downtime um, and I'm free to do whatever I want, those are usually the times when I have creative block, if I, if I have it at all, because it's, you know, I, I'm not able to pull from anything. I'm just sort of looking at the blank space around me and unsure what to do with it. I recently, Ju Julia recommended this book, actually. Uh, it was about, uh, it's called Stolen Focus. And, uh, Basically, in this book, um, like the author suggests that, yeah, we, we live in a world like where we are overwhelmed by all kinds of information. And basically, when we even go for a walk, we can't go in silence. We need to fill our space with podcasts, music. Listen to a podcast. <laughs> yeah, which is a good thing for podcasters. But at the same time, uh, it's really, um, it's not really good for your not only mental health, but I mean, like in terms of changing your perspective. So we kind of want to fill this, you know, space all the time with all kinds of information. So I wanted like to challenge you a little bit. So do you think being in this constant competitive mode in this constant, you know, race, does it really like help you in the long run? Or do you need like, does it only work like for, you know, shorter periods of time? Uh, I appreciate that challenge because, um, it's the latter. Your instinct is definitely right. It's definitely a short term thing. Um, and for 
you know, for my career thus far, that's been uh, pretty good, pretty fruitful, um, kind of operating the short term and just looking at what's ahead of me. But uh, it does, I, it's definitely something that doesn't allow you to, you know, look, look five years ahead. And the motif that I'll probably keep using this episode is my daughter and like, you know, perspective changes are really important. And at the moment that's mine. And she's sort of for the first time in my life, um, forced me to look quite further as opposed to what's, you know, going to happen in the next six months. Um, so you're totally right that like, you know, comparison and motivators are, are, are short-term thing. Um, which, you know, is fun too, because if you're kind of like me, I, I hyper fixate on something, um, for six months, whatever it is, a hobby or a project. And I, I go really deep on it and then I throw it away and then I move on to the next thing. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. What about you, Julia? I cannot be honest. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite different. I'm not, um, I cannot hyper fixate on something it's all you know with journalistic background you have to be more like you know everything and you're ready to talk about everything all the time and kind of superficially be aware of all the topics so it's all about scanning the the landscape the media and sort of informational landscape and just being aware all the time so you can't hyper fixate you will lose the the train of of thought but um yeah and but that is not no better than hyperfixation i guess it's just different uh different um um extremum of the of the same problem i guess well you were talking um about that how you don't get a creative block which i find fascinating well done i'm really envious <laughs> <laughs> but when you had one when you had one and you said you had some downtime could you describe that what was it specifically and how did you feel and what did you do and why did you understand it was a creative block at the time what was the situation um yeah it's a good question uh so i mean i'll kind of take it back a little bit um usually i i think my thoughts out loud and kind of land the plane as I'm flying it. Um, but so recently my job, which is also my hobby, which is my life, which is, you know, kind of everything. Um, <clears throat> only in the past couple of years, I've had the luxury of like working with, you know, other people, um, really people who are amazing at their craft. But when I first started in the industry, I had to do everything. Um, and I thought I was going to be a designer. And so in order to become a designer, I ingested a lot of design work. I just kind of looked at a lot of stuff and figured out how to copy it. Um, uh, because I, I basically saw it all and I was like, okay, this is the bar out there. I'm going to reverse engineer it, <clears throat> figure out how they did it, and then hopefully try and do it a little bit better. And so that's how I taught myself. And um, you know, I, I was just, I was just kind of copying for a long time. And then now I get to work with other people, but 
every now and then I have to start, you know, from a blank page and still design something or still art direct something. And I'm an art director by trade with, you know, a passion for design. Um, but the hardest briefs for me, uh, you know, I'm in advertising. The hardest briefs for me are print ads, um, which are like an art director's dream. Um, and some people specialize in them, but it's, it's just so, it's so terribly difficult to look at a blank page and try and figure out like, okay, visually I'm going to capture a moment in time and tell this story in this way. And it's, it's really frustrating. And so usually what happens, I don't get print ad briefs very often. Nobody does anymore. Um, but that idea of coming up with a single image to communicate something happens all the time. I have to do that in presentation decks. Um, even if I have a big idea, a big campaign, it still needs, you know, a single image that will get people's attention. Right. Um, everybody does that. Even the podcast needs, you know, its own image that, uh, people are going to attribute to it. Um, but whenever I have to do that, I usually do everything, but, <laughs> And so I've learned to kind of forget about it um, and give myself a break. And what I say to my partner too, he's the writer. Um, his name's Nick Stoner. So we both are named Nick. Um, but I usually say, just write into it. Don't write the title of the script. You'll figure out what the title is after you write the script. And for me, I don't figure out the print ad. I figure out everything else. And then once I have a lot to look at, you know, kind of as a creative director, you can just look at it all. And it's pretty easy because you're just able to see everything on a wall and be like, well, that's the one I keep. That's the thing I keep paying attention to. And that's the one I keep going back to. And that's probably the idea. So that should probably be the print. Ad. That's probably the image. That's probably the title. And that's probably the idea. And so whenever you have creative block, like try to do not what you're supposed to do, do everything else. And then you'll probably find what you're supposed to do by doing everything else. That's a very good tip. Thank you. Well, about Nick, your co, co, what co-creative, right? I was actually going to ask about him. And I, my question is, I guess, how is it different? Well, you described how you tell him um, to write everything else except for the title. Um, so I assume he has creative blocks sometimes and you are the one to notice that and help him. And how do you figure it out as a creative um, pair? Um, how do you support a person who you see is having a creative block? Yeah, that's a, I mean, supporting a person who has a creative block, you kind of, you kind of answered it in the question. Um, <laughs> the best thing for creative block is people. Uh, <laughs> and it, it's really amazing having a partner because you have two brains. Anytime yours isn't working at a hundred percent, there's a good chance or at least a better chance that theirs is, or maybe the combination of two brains at 50% equals a hundred percent, you know, um, anytime you have creative block, you usually talk to someone. Um, I've had a lot of really great mentors um, in my career. I would love to have better relationships with them and be able to call them. You know, they're all, um, 
you know, great people in advertising with important jobs. So I usually don't bother them with my little, my little things. But if you have people who, whether they work in your business or not, you find are very creative, very sharp, um, just keep them close because anytime you're coming up empty on something or you're just not sure maybe if this is provocative in the right way, or if this idea it's going to resonate with anybody, just find, you know, a little group of five or something people in your network and start to cultivate that relationship as like a safe place, um, somewhere where no judgment and you basically, you know, will work the same way that Nick and I work together. We, we kind of, you know, we, there's no judgment whenever we're talking, um, cause we always have bad ideas, but it's super, super helpful. Just anytime you're stuck or don't know to just bounce off of someone else, because even if they don't know, just in talking, you'll probably get somewhere. Have you ever been stuck together? Like both of you don't know what to do. Yeah. Then we go play golf. <laughs> we both are terrible golfers. Uh, but then, uh, yeah, then usually four hours outdoors in the silence. Um, usually that helps. Yeah. I just wanted to, um, ask you like what comes next. So basically you have a creative block, you like do some things, uh, like to get rid of it. And then you have to re-enter the, like the projects that you need to do. For example, a re-enter the industry depends on how long your creative block is. So how would you say you would fight this um, fear of starting again? Even if it was from like a short break, but you just like were not feeling creative enough. Yeah, the fear is usually the problem. Um, whenever you have fear of starting something, you're, you're going to spend so much more time trying to start it and... So I've, I've learned to sort of like deal with that fear and anxiety in a healthy way. I feel like every creative has some sort of relationship with their own anxiety <laughs> and it's, uh, it's useful if you can recognize it. Um, because if it's there, you need to step away. Um, like maybe some people can fight through it, uh, and get there, but it's going to be really arduous. You're going to be pretty unhappy with whatever result you come up with it in that moment. Um, and I hate to say that, <clears throat> you know, like just forget about it for three days. Cause not everybody has that luxury. Um, but if you can forget about it for a little bit, it is true that, you know, it might not come to you in the shower, but it'll probably come to you in some, some way somewhere. Um, and whenever, whenever you like, just step away for a minute and it finally clicks. Um, again, like people think of that as a cliche. It's like, Oh, creatives have the Eureka moment. It's not a Eureka moment. You just like get a minute to relax and you get a minute to think logically as opposed to being stressed on a deadline and pushing yourself too hard. Cause once you have it, I guarantee whatever you have to make or whatever you have to write, you can write it in 30 seconds. But if you're struggling and you feel blocked, that'll take 30 days. And it's such a difference. Like 
when you have a great idea and you're ready and you're excited, you, you go at it and you're fast and you're sharp um, versus, you know, kind of trudging through and like being upset and like second guessing you're typing out a sentence and then deleting it, you know. Have you found a way to communicate this to the client or the managers, anybody facing, anybody who is actually on a schedule and saying, we need it tomorrow and whatever whatever you do with yourself have you found a good way of communicating that because the message is important no 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 if anybody has you know a way to make timelines go away please i mean you don't need to tell me you could write a book and probably win the pulitzer prize if you do that (laughs) um no uh yeah you ask ask nicely um but some, I mean, sometimes you don't need it. Other times you have really, really long timelines. Um, and it's a trade-off. I'll, I'll trade you, you know, two days on this project because the next project, if, if I have a month, who knows, like I might be able to do it in a day. Um, it's, you know, I think that's just a story of partnership. And if you're working with people who respect you and you respect them and you are partners as opposed to vendors, um, usually those things all come out in the wash anyways, um, because, you know, what's a day or a, a, a day or two when, you know, the product is better. I see like there is a certain, um, correlation between, like you mentioned, you did competitive sport. And I think one of the major, uh, things in sport is recovery. So is it like, is it the same with creativity? Like, do you need to recover from it? How do you recover if, like, if you do? I mean, like, with sport, it's sleep and, like, some resting and, like, doing some physio, for example. But, like, what is it with creative? Because it's creativity is also a muscle, if we can say, like, in a way. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> I've never thought about it that way. Like, I, I need to, like, rest my brain. Um, you do get exhausted, though. Uh, and it's, and it's a, it's a physical thing. Um, whether it's because you are standing on your feet on set for a 14 hour shoot day or because, uh, me and art director, you know, just had to read 31 pages of screenplay from my copywriter. Like (laughs) I'm exhausted, you know? Um, so you definitely need a break. Um, luckily with creative stuff, it's usually not physically taxing. It's just sort of emotionally um, you know, it takes a toll on your brain. So, um, I kind of the opposite where in sports, you need to rest. Usually when I'm creatively exhausted, I need to exercise. Um, and I don't work out, um, or anything like that. Uh, but like, I mean, I do work out, but like, I'm not like a gym guy, like, Oh, I need to go lift weights. I just mean like, whether it's a walk or, or something, usually, a little bit of sweat um, does a lot of good for your brain and however you want to do that. Um, that's good. I know some people recharge with like reading a book, but if I've just spent a lot of time thinking really hard about something, I need to use the different part of my brain, which usually sport takes care of. It's more instinctual versus critical. Just before we move, I just wanted to like quickly uh, touch uh, on that. You mentioned instinctual in terms of sport. 
do you think creativity can also become instinctual at one at like at some point when you like you know advance it at some level or is it always um a very conscious uh process like you always need to be like in the zone it's not something you can train and never forget i think creativity can totally be instinctual um i think it is uh and it always is uh it's just a matter of how much you trust yourself to let it be instinctual um you know i want to give a shout out to your your previous guest who is the snowboarder because she said something that I really resonated with. She was like, I'm too artsy for the sports world, but I'm too athletic for the arts world. And so that's where I've always been. Um, I've been like sort of in that middle. And so, you know, I don't necessarily think that this, what I'm about to say, or like my experience relates to everyone, of course. Um, but being in between arts and sports, it's always been instinctual for me. And the quicker you can become um, trusting of yourself, uh, the better your creative output will be because everybody has a gut. Everybody has a gut feeling and creative is one of those things. It's not math. You don't know there's a universal right answer, but there usually is a right answer. There's probably several right answers, but you yourself will feel something weird when it's the right answer. Um, usually for me, it's a bit of nervousness, uh, and that's something that, you know, I've learned is actually a good feeling when I was younger and I had a lot of bosses and wasn't, you know, as far along in my career, I got nervous about that nervous feeling and usually shied away from it and watered down whatever I was about to do until I was comfortable. Um, but recently I've realized that's actually my most powerful thing is realizing when I feel nervous is usually because we're onto something good. Um, and it goes back to, you know, growing up skateboarding and snowboarding. Uh, whenever I was about to try a new trick I hadn't done before, I was fucking scared. <laughs> I was super nervous, uh, cause bad stuff could happen. Um, but then when you landed that trick for the first time, it was, the best drug in the world. And, um, you know, maybe I'm nerdy and I really love this job, but like when you do something you haven't done before creatively, it's the best feeling in the world. And it's the same. Yeah, totally. I, I can relate, but, um, I will try to challenge you again. <laughs> so I think with being instinctive and like, you know, uh, trusting your gut, where is this borderline uh, when it becomes being on the auto mode? So like, for example, you know that you're a good creative, you know that you can do stuff and like anything you'll do, it will be like an, of a certain level. And at some point I can notice like some creatives, they do stuff on auto, you know, they still like, they do uh, trust their gut, but still they're not that, you know, conscious and in the moment. So how will, like, for yourself, do you distinguish the, those two modes of you just following your gut and being, like, in, in the creative or, you know, just being, like, an auto because you know you can do it good? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a good way of phrasing it. I think auto, um, like, auto mode, autopilot, you know, all that sort of stuff is good for planes but bad for creatives. Um, it's... 
if you if you're doing creative things and you find yourself bored, you're usually on autopilot. Uh, and that's what they, you know, say going through the motions, right? You're just kind of kind of doing it. And selfishly, every project that I get, um, you know, this is different when you're a manager, of course, but like as a as a creative person, every project that I get, I try to do something I haven't done before. Uh, because then I'm fully engaged the whole time. I'm learning, I'm able to, even if it doesn't go well, I'm able to look back and you know, be proud that I tried something new or uh, at least take something from the experience that I can apply later. Um, but whenever I feel like I'm bored and I like have a moment to reflect and I'm like, man, why, why is this not, why am I not enjoying this right now? That's silly. I sh- like, we should be enjoying this. It's usually because you're on auto mode and you're doing something that you've already done. And I know there are specialists in every discipline who get really, really good at one thing and continue to get better and better at that one thing. But that's, you know, that's just not me. Um, I, I thought I was at some point, you know, I thought I was going to be a drummer. I thought I was, then I thought I was going to be a piano player. Then I thought I was going to be a guitar player. Then I thought I was going to be a, a snowboarder. And then I thought I was going to be an astronaut. And then I thought I was going to be a dentist and hopefully you're sensing <laughs> the pattern here. Um, I thought I was going to be a billion things and specialize in them until I found the next one. And, um, I find it, you know, a really fun way to experience the world. But doesn't it give you a feeling that you're not good at anything? Yes, it does. Um, but the phrase is, um, let me get it right. A jack of all trades is a master of none something like this a jack of all trades is a master of none but still better than a master of one um you know the the phrase is like everyone shares just the first bit but they forget the end of it you know better than a master of one and that's my perspective um you know i hire a lot of people and i get to work and partner with a lot of people who are masters of their trade and I really respect those people because it's just a, you know, it's a, it's something that I can't do. Um, I, I don't, I don't know how they do it, but it's beautiful. I was just watching a video of a cathedral stonemason um, and he's incredible at carving stone. And I could never devote that much energy to one thing, but it was beautiful to watch. When did you accept that in yourself and how did that happen? Because obviously the word, there is, I can feel there is a lot of thought and sort of background work in what you're saying now. How did you accept that? You guys ask really good questions. You should be like a therapist <laughs> or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I accepted it once I realized I didn't have a choice. Um what <laughs> once once i sort of took stock of all the hobbies and things that i've gotten pretty good at and then left behind to explore a new one i realized that that's kind of who i was um and you know it wasn't too long ago um i went through a lot of life actually being pretty disappointed in myself that i was sort of a swiss army knife creative um like oh man i really don't have a voice um and then, well, actually, I do have a moment. Um, this is kind of 
kind of nerdy, uh, but my job made me take this aptitude test. It's sort of like a leadership test that tells you what kind of personality you are. It's called the DISC test, D-I-S-C. Um, I'm sure creative people don't like it, but it gives you like you're a, a dominant personality or you're a relationship building type of personality or you're a quiet personality or you're a person who likes the details and it sort of maps you. Um, and the my results, I was like 0.01% of the population. Um, and they made an example of me because I was right in the middle and I flexed to all of them. And she's like, this is really unusual. You're kind of a chameleon. Like, do you, do you find yourself adopting the personalities of those around you? And I was like, yeah, I do. Um, and then once I, I realized that I was, that was unique, I realized that was my superpower. Yeah. And uh, moving to our next uh, uh, topic, I just wanted to ask you, uh, yeah, coming back like to, to the styles and like finding your own style, would you highlight like, just for our listeners, can you highlight? two projects that you're really like proud of but they have to be like on separate like i don't know if we imagine a line like on separate poles basically mm -hmm. so and if you could tell a little bit about them so that we you know have an understanding of how various your style is uh yes i can do that um i'll uh i'll use two projects for the same brand actually uh which might be more interesting too. Um, cause people, when they think of a brand, they, they want like a brand to have a voice, right? They want a brand to sort of be a personality, but I, I think modern brands can have a lot of voices. Um, I, I think it's a really human way, um, to be a brand, to just do a lot of different things. So for a while I worked on Miller Lite, um, you know, the, the original fine pilsner it's a it's american beer it's been around forever um i actually grew up drinking it um i'm, I'm from you know the midwest and miller lights a, a midwestern brand um but the two projects that i'll kind of dive into um one is called farewell work holiday parties and another is called the shoesy and i think i think they couldn't be more different from themselves um in terms of execution and an idea But what they both do is um, they just communicate that Miller Lite is a comfortable beer to drink. It's an it's a unpretentious beer. It's not trying to be fancy. It's when you drink Miller Lite or when you think of the brand of Miller Lite, you would be happy drinking drinking it with you know anybody, your closest friends, um, because you're not trying to be something you're not when you're holding a Miller Lite. You know you know, brands tend to be an accessory and they communicate something about you where Miller Lite's sort of like a white t-shirt. It's, it's anything. Um, so the shoesy is a really easy one to explain for Father's Day. We got a brief. They just wanted to make the brand famous for Father's Day. And Miller Lite has a, a, a cultural sort of story around them that they're your dad's beer. Um, you know, like it's, it wasn't cool to, to drink it. Um, and, uh, we're like, you guys should, really own that. Um, that's a beautiful thing for people to tell a story about you. And so we partnered with the dad shoe, which is the new balance white trainer. Uh, it's like the quintessential shoe that Midwestern suburban dads. And so we just did a partnership that was like something really funny that 
dads would have made themselves, you know, they would have crafted a shoe for their beer, made a fancy koozie. So the shoesy was born. It was a New Balance times Miller Lite uh, beer koozie that kept your beer cold, but it was fashioned from the New Balance dad shoe. Uh, and it didn't win any advertising awards or anything like that, but it went insanely viral. Um, the most viral campaign I've probably ever worked on. It got picked up in China and, and Russia and uh, Thailand and um, all over the place. Uh, it was it was really something special to see that travel. Um, but so that one, you know, was just a fun, quirky little product. And then on the other side, for a work holiday parties was very much an art project. Um, we actually got into the Museum of Modern Art. Um, not the Museum of Modern Art, sorry, the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, LACMA, um, which is a, another amazing, you know, modern art museum. But that one, um, the story was during the holidays, you know, everybody drinks pretentious cocktails. Uh, so Miller Lite doesn't really have a place um, in the holidays. And so with COVID happening, we're like, oh, man, nobody's going to go to work parties anymore but maybe that's a good thing because those things are stiff and awful to go to um so maybe this means more time with your real friends maybe we should make a memorial for work parties and say goodbye to them forever as a celebration of being able to drink beer at home with your real friends during the holidays instead of work parties so we made this crazy sculpture with uh alex prager an amazing photographer um you know and it was crafted so well that the curators at the museum uh, wanted to feature it, um, you know, and, and you'd have to, you'd have to go look at them because visually they, they couldn't be more different, but, um, you know, they eventually tell the same story of the brand. Yeah. That's like totally completely like two different, uh, types of, uh, projects on the spectrum, as I would say, but I also feel like when you approach this kind of projects, it's really, you know, um, sometimes hard to, I don't know, follow the brand guidelines and like it's really cool when the brand is very you know brave to you know accept the challenge and and, and do stuff so can you tell a little bit about how you uh, approach this idea to the client because like for me it's always very interesting how do you pitch it and what the client says because for them it might be like something new and something challenging um yeah sure which which of the two um, would you like me to talk about I like the one with the with the shoes, shoesies, uh, yes, the New Balance one. To yeah, <laughs> the shoesies. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, that one was tough because uh, for as long as I had worked on Miller Lite, they really didn't want to talk about the fact that they're known culturally as your dad's beer. Um, you know, they they worked really hard to try and be the opposite and make themselves attractive to a younger audience, right? So it's it's kind of saying like, hey, you know that thing that you guys think is your worst attribute? What if we made a campaign about that? Um, you know, and a lot of clients would close the door in your face. Um, but but our clients were, we had such a good relationship with them, um, and we we that's sort of what I was saying earlier. When you when you get to a, a point when you're partners with someone like truly partners, you can talk about anything uh, with no judgment. And so we wouldn't have made that in the first year of our relationship um, with the client and agency. 
it took three years of building trust, um, three years of grinding it out on projects together and understanding each other and realizing that we're both after the same thing. We're both after success for the brand. Um, nobody's trying to pull a fast one on you. So um, I say that to to say that like you need to have patience um, sometimes. You know, you might, I had, I might've had that idea the first month I worked on the brand, but it wouldn't have worked. Um, nobody would have said yes to it because nobody would know who I am. And so you really need to have patience and you need to kind of prove it to the people that you're working with. Um, and eventually, um, you know, maybe it does need to take three or four years, but sometimes once you build a little bit of trust, then you can talk about the ugly stuff and maybe turn it into a positive. And I mean, the proof is in that campaign. It wasn't a bad thing about the brand. It was probably their most viral moment ever because everybody saw it and we're like, oh my God, that's so true. That's so funny. They casted, you know, dads from Home Depot. That's like so authentic. That's It's so Miller Lite. There's no artifice around it. It's just a beautifully fun thing that's right for Miller Lite and New Balance and people celebrated it because of that. So, you know, whenever you go into a client pitch, you can usually smell if somebody's trying to pull a fast one or lying a little bit. And, you know, my advice is to never do that. <laughs> Always be authentic, be honest, and hopefully people trust you. Well, also lots of dads are millennials. I mean, all a lot of millennials are dads now including yourself so it's kind of a completely different culture did you mention that in your was that a part of your presentation to the client or did you not play on that i'm sensing the journalist background here julia uh that's another really good question because i definitely put that in the presentation um uh you know dad core uh, dad fashion is obvious. No, everybody knows it's having a moment. It's almost like uh, played out now. It's had its moment for so long. But yeah, that was a big part of it. It was like, not only is this a true thing, it's also like the most hottest thing in fashion right now to dress like your dad. Um, so you're going to be hitting a lot of points. Um, but I was really proud of that, that we didn't do like, you know, we didn't cast millennials sort of pantomiming as dads or cast young fashionable people um we stayed true um you know and cast like 55 year old dads that we literally found at home depot you know they weren't active yeah, yeah. um <laughs> so yeah dad fashion definitely helped us sell that through yeah i i just wanted to uh to add um we 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 had uh, this question planned as a like a, a completely separate topic but i i i know for sure that i just can't not ask you that coming it's coming from me um i'm always very overwhelmed by feeling that everything has already been created you can't be original there's nothing else new you can create uh everywhere like every idea you get you you google something oh something similar just happened or just like something similar was created are you ever frightened by that and what do you do if you feel like oh i i feel like i can't create something original so do you think it's a it's a bad thing it's a or 
is it still good to you know kind of being being inspired by others work yeah that's an amazing question we could do like a whole five-hour <laughs> podcast about that and yeah. seriously because there's so many tentacles to that question um everything has been created but also like nothing has been created yet um the one thing that uh i don't love about the moment in culture that we're in right now is that it's very much remix culture um and like ai is a perfect you know visual yeah. articulation of that ai can't create anything new um it's just just copying and remixing things that it can find on the internet um and that's sort of the biggest downfall it can't create anything new um but even before ai became really popular everything sort of felt like a remix of something else um <clears throat> but once you realize that that's always been the case it tends to relax you a little bit um everything has always been a remix or a reference of something else like way way back to renaissance paintings uh like the david sculpture the mona lisa like way back to original artwork it's always been a remix of some some degree um and music is probably the easiest way to see that like you know there's only so many notes um yet we still have a million new songs written every day um that's crazy you know and it's okay to reference other things like people like that um you don't need to be so blatant as to copy it. Um, but usually yeah. if you're referencing something, um, that's just another, that's just a synonym for relatable. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a reference takes a lot of shapes and sizes and it. it's just, all that means is it's something that we can agree on. Um, and things that are totally new, um, I'm not sure, I'm not sure they exist. Just to kind of, you know, sum up uh, our episode. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, Nick, if you could, um, we want to introduce this uh, kind of, you know, um, way of ending our podcast with giving something uh, like to our listeners to to read, to watch, or to, to be inspired by something. So mm -hmm. uh, if you could name one book, one film, and one creative campaign that you want to recommend right now, what would it be? Cool. Um, yeah, the, I kind of hate myself for doing this. Um, but the film I'm going to recommend is a film that I made because I don't think I've ever made a film before and I don't know if I'll ever be able to make a film again. Um, but clash from the past was our most recent, um, project. Uh, we worked on it with, a million amazingly talented people and i know your background is in documentary um it is a documentary it's a documentary about a fake history but it's a 22 minute um absolute joy of a ride um even if you don't care about clash of clans or video games um we had a really really fun time making this and yeah i don't know if i'll have the opportunity to make a film uh like that or a film in general in my career so I was thinking about, you know, what movies to recommend and, and I, I just would love people to watch it. Cause, um, it was one of those moments where we had no idea what we were doing. We didn't know if we were talented enough to, to make something. And a lot of 
really amazing people came together and like made something genuinely wholesome and emotional. And, um, you know, there's a lot of stories within the story that I think, uh, people will love. So class from the past, um, go ahead and Google it. Um, so what was that? That was the film. Um, but creative campaigns, there's two actually that I really love. Um, one is really simple. It's a couple of films from Levi's um, out of a competing agency. So I won't give them the, the joy of naming them, but they know who they are. Um, Levi's, the greatest story ever worn. Um, amazing, amazing line. Um, and a pretty simple insight. They just found real stories about Levi's uh, for the 150th anniversary. But um I don't know what it is about these films. It feels like, you know, classic advertising that got me into it. They're just beautifully crafted. They're um, so simple. You know, one's a story about um, how not only a lot of people have been asked to be buried in Levi's, but one person in particular asked everybody in attendance at his funeral to wear Levi's, um, which it's like such a fun, fun way to talk about brand love. <laughs> And people would have shied away from that script a million times. But um, the second campaign, I won't tell you about it because it's a visual delight. You just got to go look at it. But Nickelodeon came out and uh, brought the splat back. Um, big rebranding for Nickelodeon. That's one of my favorite brands of all time. One of my favorite creatives of all time worked on it. Um, but go check out the Nickelodeon splat work. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Um, so yeah, Nickelodeon Levi's would be my two campaigns. Okay, very cool. Yeah. Okay, and uh, for the book, we will add everything in description. Yeah, so uh, everyone that is listening can be can, can be lazy just click and, and just yeah, click get acquainted. Links. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> that's that's good. Nobody wants to actually Google stuff. You know, <laughs> we can Google it for you. Um, books. Okay, so I've read more books in the last two months than I think I've ever read in my entire life. Um, because I don't read books. Um, <laughs> like people who know me know I don't read books and maybe that means I'm stupid, uh, which I know I am. Uh, I don't, I have a lizard brain, but no, I, I haven't read a lot of books. I don't like reading books. Um, I have a really hard time taking information in, uh, by reading it. I'm a visual person and I don't, I don't have... ADD or dyslexia that I know of. Um, but when I read, I find myself, I'll be reading the same paragraph for the fifth time. And then I'll realize that I've just read the same paragraph five times and I didn't take anything in. Um, but I've read a thousand books in the last two months because of my daughter and, uh, I've been reading kids books. I've, I've read a million of these kids books and they're fascinating to me because, um, the idea of like writing something for a kid, uh, but the parents are going to be the one reading it. Um, it's a really interesting dichotomy to write in kids language, but in a way that parents can also appreciate, um, you know, Pixar is sort of like the master at that, but this book in particular it's called My New Human. I have no investment in this. I don't know who these people are. Um, Kelsey Summer was the writer and Lana Lee is the illustrator. Um, it's about 
a dog and it's told from the dog's perspective um, and how the dog experienced um, having a new baby enter the family. And it made me cry. Uh, it's like seven pages, you know, maybe seven words on each of those seven pages. Uh, and it was just incredible. Um, you know, these, these kids books, they have like lyrical quality, they have rhythm, they have depth of story, simplicity. Uh, the illustrations are unique every time. Um, and even though I'm reading it to my daughter, like, I can tell that they put jokes in there for me. Um, it's, it's a so, perfect advertising yeah, I don't know, campaign. Kids books are sort of my new frontier that <laughs> it is. Yeah, it really is. It's like the new frontier that I have to conquer because I, I find them like so brilliant. Yeah. Um, and as not a reader, uh, I like reading them. Well, you found books for you. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. I, I still read at a, a five-month-old no, level. I, I, I completely agree on, on children's books. They're so brilliant. They made, Some of the books made me cry as well. And actually, for the first time in my life, I wrote an email to the... I, I found the email of the author or the agency there at, and actually wrote an email to say, them saying, the illustrations are beautiful. The storytelling is so cool. It, it, brought, it brought me so much joy reading your book with my child. I actually did that. It was the only time in my life when I was so moved by something that I actually um, took an effort to find that people, the person's address and tell them. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible and they did it with you know 50 words uh, it's it's really amazing nick thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's been a pleasure and uh i'm really looking forward we are looking forward to part two so i think we can uh, pencil that uh for like i don't know maybe in some time uh and we can return to the conversation on everything being created and how to deal with it I think this could be a good teaser for part two. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, incredible. Part two, the first 24-hour long podcast. <laughs> uh, we'll talk forever about that. But yeah, thank you for having me. This was, this was a lot of fun. Um, it'll be less fun listening to myself talk when I review this. But hopefully <laughs> there are some good tidbits for your audience. Yeah, so, thank yeah, you both yeah. so much. It was awesome to meet you. And uh, this was a really fun chat. Thank, thank you, you Nick. Much. So thank you everyone for listening. And if you hear this right now, it means that you listened to our whole conversation with Nick Howard. And I'm sure that you enjoyed it as much as we did. And yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you.